Yo, yo, yogis, Shan here from Practice Indie coming to you with such an interesting topic today, the yamas, uh, which makes me think of Ludacris's uh, rhyme of llama, llama, what red pajama, hey, reads a story with who, with his mama, ho. Anyway, that is about a llama, and today we are talking about the yamas, same, same, different. So, um, uh, yeah, you're welcome for that. Uh, The yamas are the first of the eight-limbed path as prescribed by Patanjali. And the yamas, yama means restraint or control. And it is the way in which we control or restrain ourselves or practice restriction within our relationships to the world and and each other and the environment. So we're going to talk all about the yamas and that first limb of the eight-limbed path. And um, I jokingly call these the don't be a Furby laws. I used to call it don't be a dick laws. Um, I'm trying not to genital shame. So if you grew up in the 90s like I did, there were these awful things called Furbies and there were these weird fuzzy toys that when you tried to turn them off, they wouldn't. And when you took out their batteries, you had to bury them in your backyard and you could still hear them squealing. And I'm just wondering if you're listening, if you had that experience. But anyway, um, I call them don't be a Furby laws because being a Furby would be my definition of being the worst. So the yamas are here to help us live uh, lives of not being the worst and in service to yoga. And um, I'm going to work out of a book today called The Sacred Tradition of Yoga by Dr. Shankarayana Joyce. Uh, this is a wonderful book. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And he actually lists out the full yamas um, that are found in both Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, which he actually condenses them. But then also um, in Yoga Yajnavalkya, uh, which is a book that expands on 10 yamas. So we're going to look at all of the controls, the restraints that we as yogis can practice to get us closer to that ultimate goal, which is uh, samadhi or realization or oneness. Um, So yoga is both uh, a practice and ultimately it's a state of being. And the yamas are the first place we begin to start that practice as prescribed by Patanjali. Now, um, I'll also say I'm imperfect. And what I love about the yamas are that it illuminates our humanness. And so depending on the lineage you come from, depending on how you've studied yoga, you may have either never heard of these before, or this may not be how you work through to the state of yoga or through the practice of yoga. And I just invite all of us to uh, listen and inquiry to this because um, this is a study in our humanness. The yamas are really looking at how we can get closest to, if not to, our highest truth whilst living in these perfectly imperfect human existences. Existences is a new word. I just submitted it to Wikipedia. So, um, anyway, so yeah, we're going to talk about the yamas and framing that in. Um, I love what. Dr. Shankarayana says, which is uh, when many paths, one goal, that there are many paths that lead to the state of yoga. There are many practices of yoga, but overall, if we are all trying to get to that highest self, um, that's, that's the most important yoga. And uh, he, he says, if you're not sure how to begin, begin with the nearest version. <laughs> 
or the nearest path. Um, so he, he goes further into the book about yana yoga, which we talked about on our last podcast, which is the yoga of wisdom or knowledge. Karma yoga, which is action, um, the yoga of action, and bhakti yoga, which is the yoga of devotion. So his suggestion is however you begin, just begin and begin with the closest form to you. So maybe this is the closest form to you, starting with the yamas. So anyway, uh, we're going to go through all 10. As I mentioned, Patanjali will list out five, but this is the expanded view of that. And the first one is often cited as the most important, which is ahimsa. So ahimsa means non-violence or non-harming. And um, we can go as gross to subtle as we need with this. And what's interesting about that is that the yamas really go gross to subtle. Like ahimsa is very much, you know, don't, don't go and kill people, you turd. We could, we could go with that, right? But that is um, the most obvious. It's really, there are three components of how you can harm or um, commit violence. And it's physical, it's verbal, and it's um, thought-based. So we can create physical harm, obviously by hitting someone, by murdering someone. I'm not suggesting any of those behaviors, by the way. Um, We can hurt someone or something through the things we say or the things we don't say. And we can harm someone through our thought. And I'm saying someone, but consider that nonviolence is towards anything, environmental, other people, etc. And one of the things that he points out in this book, though, is the moment you become a human being, you commit harmful acts. So the, you know, the the practice, lol, the practice of um, breathing, it's not really a practice kind of forced upon you, but, you know, the act, there we go, of breathing, inhaling and exhaling, we're probably inhaling microbes and, um, you know, tiny organisms, and by doing so, we're killing them. So we cannot exist in this human form without some version of harming, but as all of the yoga practice illuminates for us, it's about creating conscious awareness and intent. So um, you can go all the way to the side of Jainism, which is a faith in, in which they wear masks and they walk with uh, brooms so they don't breathe in microorganisms uh, and they don't step on any bugs. You can go to that length or you can be super conscious of your actions and create as little harming as possible. So one thing that inevitably comes up in this conversation is vegetarianism and veganism. I am personally not a vegetarian or a vegan. I am in awe of and support all those who make that life choice. For me, I do not feel nourished uh, when I eat that way. And so right there, I'm making a choice of myself over other beings. So I'm consciously knowing I'm going to commit harm because I am a meat eater. And so my way of navigating that is I know my farmer. I uh, buy my meat from Tyner Pond. I shop at co-ops and um, farmer's markets. So I know the farmer. I'm able to go to their farms, which I do, see how they treat the animals. And that's the way that I choose to navigate that space. So this really is about you know, what you're going to pick and choose. And you'll see through all the yamas that it's like that. And so ahimsa, non-harming, we can harm through physical acts, verbal acts, and what we think about. And so considering those three realms, how we can reduce as much harm as possible within the boundaries of how we choose to exist on this earth.
So ahimsa, the most important one, and often um, when when we get into discussions about the yamas, they always will come back to um, being in service to ahimsa. So that's the first one. The second one is satya, or truthfulness. And so there are actually two truths. There's your truth. Everybody has their own unique truth because you exist on this planet and you have your own unique vantage point in being in this human experience. And then there's the eternal truth. The eternal truth is absolute knowledge. It is boundless. There is no one perspective. It is it is the thing we're trying to assimilate to. Don't mind me opening my door, letting Brindle out. Bye, buddy. Come up with some good questions. Um, <laughs> so the eternal truth is about our absolute and the you know, self-truth is about our limited perspective. So truthfulness, satya, obviously is, you know, don't tell a lie. But anytime you share some information and don't know the full story, you're going to inevitably be sharing some non-truths. Anytime you're sharing your truth that's not the full eternal truth, you're not sharing the full picture, right? Again, this is about our boundary as being human beings. And one of the reasons why we practice and work towards the state of yoga is to get closer to that eternal truth. So the um, example I love is, and in relationship to ahimsa is, you know, if you go to see a friend and they got a haircut and their hair looks like shit, (laughs) they're like, hey, what do you think about my hair? I think there's an SNL skit like this. And um, you have to decide in that moment, and am I going to tell the truth? And is it the truth? Like, if I think your hair looks like shit, that's my truth. But if you seem to be glowing about it, that might be your truth. And then if I share my truth, am I going to cause harm by saying, your hair looks like shit? So sometimes when I see babies and, like, I don't think they're cute, and I don't want to say that because that's, like, really mean, um, I'll say, like, yeah, oh, my God, like, your baby, you know, exclamation point. No adjectives attached. <laughs> Um, so, you know, you can work with that. So satya, truthfulness, and considering it in the context of your truth versus the eternal truth. The next one is ashteya, and this is non-stealing. Um, so non-stealing, sort of like ahimsa, there, there are different ways we can steal. We can physically steal someone's object. We can uh, steal, like, mental property. So we can plagiarize. We can um, infringe on copyright, that kind of thing. And then um, Ashtaya from like an energy standpoint, if we are perpetually late uh, and we tell people we're going to be there at one time, now not only are we, you know, hitting on the boundary of satya or truthfulness, hey, I'm going to be there at 5 p.m. and you never are, well, you're you're lying. And and then you're also stealing that person's time. So considering Ashtaya as, yeah, don't steal people's shit, but also do you borrow things and not give them back? Do you, are you constantly late? Are, do you plagiarize other people's stuff? This is huge in social media. Do you take people's quotes without giving them credit? So considering how we steal in not just a very gross way of taking people's shit, but also like, am I stealing thought? Am I not giving credit where credit is due? Knowing that so much of our experience is stolen. Like I truly don't believe anything is new. It, it all exists and we are borrowing. So the, the best form of borrowing or sharing is to cite your source when you know it. So that's Ashtaya. Brahmacharya, such a fun one. It usually is translated as some kind of sexual celibacy, but really um, means moving toward 
eternal truth and um, is really about discipline and moderation and keeping the mind and body attuned for realization. So brahmacharya, you will see a lot of rules around um, celibacy and that is for anyone who's a renunciant or someone who um, you know, decides to be an ascetic and move into a cave and live their yoga dreams there. But for anyone who is a householder or um, in a partnership or married or wanting to you know, create more human beings, then brahmacharya shifts more into a space of doing practices that honor the body so that we can stay as, as close to or tuned for realization as possible. So um, living in moderation, you know, this is having sex when it's appropriate, right? Like not all the damn time. And also you know, when, it's, when it's sacred, when it's special, when it's um, right. I don't know, it's different for everybody. So I'm not gonna like crawl in your bed and get in your sex life, but doing it in moderation and whatever that looks like for you. Um, it's also about moderation and other things. So, you know, if you're going to make the choice to imbibe an alcohol, which depending on you know, what yoga text or group you work with, that's, that is not okay in all um, practices, lineages. Some it is. So it's considering what is the appropriate moderation. Is it going to bring me um, closer to something? There are lots of different texts that cite using different hallucinogens and drugs to get you closer to the truth and then you know there are other opinions that none of it will get you there and only through a clear you know natural air quote state of mind can you get to to self-realization so i think it's about one knowing the yoga you want to practice and two the moderation in which you want to to practice what you know is getting you closer to both the practice and the state of yoga. So brahmacharya, living in moderation, um, really moving toward eternal truth in all things. Aparagraha is the next one. And this one is about possessing only what we need. So non-grasping or um, kind of living minimally. So this is like the minimalist one. So if you're a minimalist junkie, here you go. Here's your yama. Um, Aparagraha has us consider to take only what we need and to live within our means. So you know, there are times of, and even the, the sacred tradition of yoga mentions this, there are times of plenty and harvest. So it's not saying like live on bare bones only. It's saying know, know the season you're in and be responsible for taking only what you need. Um, you know, I think about money. Money is really a neutral thing, but we tend to assign morality to it. It's good or it's bad. Some people are just blessed with more. And so if you're in that camp, take what you need and then give the rest responsibly. And maybe that means to your family and maybe that means to a charitable organization. And again, this all comes back to this human experience. You have to decide what path you're on and the boundary in which you experience that path. And it's gonna look different for everyone. There is no right, wrong, good, bad. It's uh, just being super mindful, conscious, and aware of how and taking action and doing something. So considering uh, money, considering things, you know, Marie condoing your house is really great, but if you don't consider how you got to the point where you need to purge your house, 
Um, it's just gonna keep happening. So before you purchase something, really considering, do I need this thing? Is this something that I really need or is it a want? And could I use that energy towards buying that thing, using that thing, preserving that thing towards uh, realization or self-enlightenment? Um, another thing that he mentions in this book that I love is just considering when to say no. So I have two little kids and people love to give me shit for them, which is like so nice. I'm like really grateful. Um, but also sometimes it's like, yeah, they do not need 40 more um, Tonka trucks. <laughs> Thank you. Or... Um, yeah, like, no, she doesn't need 12 knitted hats that are all pink, you know? And, and it's really hard when someone gives you something for your kid, especially out of the deep love of their heart. But knowing when to say no, in my case, has been a really powerful thing. And even going a step further, setting those boundaries, I've told my parents and my in-laws, like, hey, you know, this holiday, we're only doing this kind of gift or they need this exact thing. And so being really clear on the boundary of what I receive is a part of the practice of a paragraha. Um, so the next one, and we're going to move into the next five that are less known. So if I went through those and you're like, yeah, I know those, the next five are less common. Uh, so fun to explore this territory. The first one, or really the sixth one is Daya, and it means mercy. Ugh. And I love this because the next five are, you know, Patanjali likely, we weren't sitting there, um, you know, asking him in on the editing sesh, but you know, likely Patanjali, whoever that was, took these and saw how they fit into the first five and so edited it there so we can make the path super streamlined, which in a second there's, there's literally a yama about that. So daya is mercy or a form of grace. So it means to take mercy on not only others. When we see others in suffering, we, we uh, restrain our own need for whatever to provide mercy, um, but also extending mercy to ourselves. So practicing that, that discipline, which for so many of us, the discipline to be to extend grace to ourselves, to extend mercy to ourselves is much harder than doing it for others. So Daya is this idea, this practice of extending mercy both to yourself and to others. Because back to the beginning of this episode, so much of, well, all of the yamas are really in service to this unique human experience and how we navigate it so that we may get closer to enlightenment. Uh, so Daya, Arjava is the next one. It means straight forwardness. I love this one. And anyone that's a yoga teacher or an aspiring yoga teacher, I take this one to heart uh, pretty, pretty personally, pretty seriously, because it's all about alignment between your words and your thoughts, your actions and your words, and your thoughts and your actions. So not overcomplicating things, manipulating things, or distorting things, just saying things, acting in ways and um, being in ways that are straightforward. So yoga teachers, if we just put in a pose because like we like it in a flow, that's not practicing arjava. Instead, especially if we're doing like peak sequencing or anything like that, our sequences need to be straightforward so that our students get to the point of yoga we are trying to accomplish within that, you know, remedial time of an hour. Um, but you know, using Arjava to help us become more streamlined in our process of thought, of action, and of ways of being. Um, I just love this one. And I think 
from my lens as a yoga teacher, often in the past I have sequenced in sort of a superfluous way because it just looked good, air quotes, or felt good, air quotes, instead of really considering, well, what am I trying to get at? What is what is my action? What is my aim? Very um, Bhagavad Gita approach. Like, what am I going to commit an action to and just go for it like like a bow and arrow in a sh- as straight a line as possible? So, Arjava. Uh, Kasama, this is resilience. And you can think about this one more in terms of response to things. So when something happens to us, we want to elicit this practice of kasama and <clears throat> that it's persistence in the face of adversity. It's about how we respond to things that don't go our way. And the prescription from this lens is to do so with resilience and persistence. And then considering you know, the previous um, yamas that also to do this with mercy to consider having mercy for whatever whomever may have inflicted pain or adversity but then moving forward with resilience and persistence in the face of that as a response uh driti is the next one it means determination with courage this is different than um kasama because it's about the intention it's about the actual action not the reaction so this is how we navigate our intentions to do so with determination and courage that instead of you know just putting something out there and just seeing if it sticks you know but not really caring having not a detached but more a dispassionate way of approaching things to go at it with determination and courage um, is the prescription here. And I, I love that breakdown of language, determination with courage. So setting our intention and then moving into our action with that vibe, with that intent. <clears throat> the last one is mitahara. And mitahara <clears throat> means, excuse me, the restriction of food. And if you read the Upanishads, food means anything we can take through our five senses. So this does specifically mean um, eating, it's kind of an aparagraha nod, eating only what you need. And um, Ayurveda has a lot of context around this where we eat only um, to be satiated and not even to be full. Um, I'm going to have Staria on later, but I think it's uh, the top third of your stomach should be air, then a third should be water, and then a third should be food. So being mindful of our consumption of food also plays into ahimsa, you know, eating in a non-violent way, non-harming way. Um, But then it's also about what we monitor what we take in from all our other senses. So we live in such an overstimulated society. I consciously do not watch violent shows or um, violent newscasts unless I know it's educating me on something I need to be informed about, I need to be maybe pissed about. Um, But I'm conscious about what I receive through the sense organs of my eyes and my ears as well as, you know, smells where um, I remember my grandmother used to have like a flip and fit when we would go to Bath and Body Works. She's like, it's too much. Like our olfactory should not process all that shit. And she's kind of right. Um, there was a time where I would like have 20 different incense going and, you know, all the essential oils, not because I actually knew what I was doing, but because I thought I was just like purging literally all the cells in my body. 
And instead, I was just numbing myself to really enjoying or experiencing the effect of those things. So being very intentional with what you take in as air quotes food into your body from your eyes, from your ears, from your nose, from your mouth, from touch. Did I get all them? Eyes, ears, nose, mouth, touch. There it is. Nailed it. Yeah. So just being conscious of how we receive the world and doing the diligent work of monitoring that which we take in as food as prescribed by the Upanishads, which is anything through a sense organ. So, woo, that was longer than I thought. Um, Those are the 10, the expanded version, if you will, uh, yamas. And within those, the first five that we mentioned are what most um most western modernized modernized isn't most western yogis are going to hear about the first five but just to consider really how we are operating with our environment and with the world um so much of this deals with not just interpersonal relationships but consideration of our actual earth and how we how we you know only take what we need because it's going to affect people around the globe and only taking what we need a paragraha because it's going to affect the earth. And yeah, I just think these are so critical to our existence as human beings and um, something that we can really absorb to live more full lives, but also to live and get closer to our realized state of being. So I think that's all I have for you today. Um, We'll be doing a separate episode on the Niyamas and also taking some of the notes from this book for the Niyamas. So look forward to that. And thank you so much for listening. Oh God, now it's not turning off. Um, So now I have to do something cute. Um... So long, farewell, adidas and adieu, 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 to your anyo anyo, do 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 do. Okay, now I'm signing off. <laughs>